This morning, if you want to go ahead and turn, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 20. Um, 2 Kings chapter 20. So like I said, Scott is, is away on a, um, a much-deserved vacation. Um, he has he's battled through all this COVID stuff, making decisions. He's helped build these two platforms, helped Franklin run all this stuff. And it's funny to see Scott run wires because that's not his forte, but he's a willing servant. Um, so he is away for a week, enjoying, enjoying some time at the beach with his family for Father's Day, and he'll be back um, next week. But, but I'm excited to be up here this morning. I'm excited to, um, to bring the message that I believe God has, has put on my heart. Um, and it's, it's been interesting, um, because anytime I get asked to speak, um, I always go back to, okay, well, not in a series, or there's not some sort of direction for me to preach on, I ask myself, what is God teaching me? Well, the problem with that question is I just started studying in the book of Isaiah, and it's, it's really hard to understand, and so I'm, I'm wrestling with what God is teaching me through the beginning of Isaiah. There's some great stuff in there, but as I started just to skim and, and read and, and pray, God led me to the end of Isaiah. And the cool thing about the Old Testament books is a lot of them are kind of mushed together, just like Acts and the epistles are. Um, Isaiah, you can, you can find him in Chronicles, you can find him in the book of 2 Kings, and I, and I came across the story of Hezekiah. Um, and it was an amazing story. And, and as God kind of prepared my heart, that the deeper I read, the, the deeper I, I understood that this is exactly where we needed to go for this, this lesson this morning. Um, and then this week... Um, it's, it's funny, me and Olivia laugh all the time that every time I preach on something, God somehow teaches me a lesson during the week about the message. And so it's, it's been a trying week. It's been a hard week. It's been a, a week full of a lot of conviction. Um, and and I, I heard from, um, actually, the, the guy who discipled me, Tommy, um, if the message hasn't kicked your butt through the week, then it's not going to do anything on Sunday morning. And so if it, if, if it does anything to you guys this morning, what it did to me, then, then I'm excited to see the movement that God does here um, this morning. Um, and that's, that's my prayer, is that we would take this story. Because while there's, there's several good passages in the New Testament that, that talk about what a good father is, I believe that this story has the potential to, to make fatherhood real for us. And, and, and past fatherhood make... Christianity and leadership real for us because this is not just the Father's Day message where you know you guys and Logan wherever he is over there can can you just like tune out and say oh it's the Father's Day message it's not for me no guys this is for you it's not a Father's Day message that's not for wives because this has to do with you it, it, it's not a Father's Day message that doesn't apply to single people it applies to everybody across the board um, and we'll tie that back in at the end but I, I pray that this message. As we look at Hezekiah, if we look at his amazing example and we, we look at his great fall, I, be, I believe this message has the potential to really show us our own struggle as a father, as a mother, as a single person, as a student, all the way across the board. Um, so I'm going to pray and, and then we're going to launch into this story. Father, God, I, I, I come broken and, and begging you to move this morning. God, if, if all that happens in here is, is the sound of my voice goes on for 30 minutes and, and no heart is changed, no life is changed, no one is convicted, no one is encouraged, if, if nothing happens, God, then we have failed 
miserably. God, if the music didn't inspire worship, then, then we've not done our jobs. God, and I know that there's no amount of, of skill or, or, or eloquence that I can use that's going to prick the heart. God, it's all you. It's, it's all your Holy Spirit. God, we are, we are just mouthpieces and willing bodies for, for your work. God, so I pray that would be what happened today. God, I, I pray that you would move and that you would speak just in a powerful way. God, so that we would leave this place different than when we came in. God, so just be with me. Be with this congregation. God, and let your spirit reign here. In your name I pray. Amen. So, we're going to be in chapter 20, but the story won't make sense unless I give you some backstory. If I don't tell the story to begin with up to it, because really the, the chapter 20 is the, the end of Hezekiah's story. Um, and so, just to kind of catch you up, Hezekiah was a fantastic king. Um, great, godly man. Um, he did some amazing things. And in chapter 18, verse 3, it says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. Um, keep David in mind because that's, that's going to be important. So he, he followed after the lineage of David, but David was not his actual like, biological father. His biological father was King Ahaz. And he was a terrible, terrible king. Um, he did despicable things. Uh, chapter 16 says that he even burned his own sons as offerings um, to false pagan gods. And so he was a horrible king. And it's really a miracle that Hezekiah even survived through, through the, I mean, if dude was sacrificing his sons and Hezekiah was one of his sons, well, it's God's provision that, that got him there in the first place. Um, so he had a horrible upbringing. Um, but Hezekiah pushed through and, and he restored Judah back to the way that it was in David's time. So he, he started um, temple worship again. He, he, he restored the temple. He got it back to the place where it was, it was usable again. He, he restored the altars. He, he reestablished the, the priesthood. He um, reestablished all the things that David and Solomon started because he feared the Lord. He was a godly godly king, and he prayed diligently, and he had the prophet Isaiah by his side the whole time guiding and directing him, and he listened to God. And so he did everything right, even to the point of, of, of setting sacrifices back up. Um, and because he did these things, God blessed him. He blessed him in abundance. Um, and when it came time, once he'd purified the, the temple, he'd purified the people, they'd consecrated themselves, they got themselves back to a good place where they could do the sacrifices. Hezekiah decreed that there needed to be a tithe so that, we could have this, that they could have the sacrifice they needed. And the people donated so much. So much so that once they were, they were um, tithed to the temple, they were making the sacrifices, all the Levites and all the priests had enough to eat, but they're still kept on more and more and more and more tithes. So they had these abundances, these giant piles is, is what the scripture says. And, and it's like he walks up and sees these huge piles. He's like, hey guys, what are you doing? Why, why are these just sitting out? And the Levites are like, oh, we don't know what to do with them. There's just too much. We're full. Everybody else is full. Everybody's good. We've got enough for the sacrificial system. They just keep coming. We don't know what to do with it. He's like, man, we're going to have to fix this. And so he goes back into the temple and he starts to prepare these storehouses. He starts to prepare these places to, to kind of keep these treasures and to keep these things that God had blessed. And so the temple became full of, of animals and silver and gold. And, and so the temple prospered. It had a, everything that it needed 
Judah had everything it needed because God had continuously just blessed and worked in a, in a crazy way in, in King Hezekiah's reign. But like so often happens, bad times come. And so everything's going good in, in Judah, and then the king of Assyria decides to invade. So there's, a, there's an invasion, and Assyria was like the dominant power. Those were some bad dudes. And so they roll in, and Hezekiah tries to buy him off at first. He says, look, you know, we're sorry if we offended you. We'll give you some money. Just go away. Leave us alone. So he sends great amounts of, of wealth. He kind of drains some of the, the, the storehouses dry in some areas of silver. He even strips the, some of the gold from the temple to try to pay this guy off, and, and it still doesn't matter. It still doesn't matter. He keeps trucking on, and so he prepares to invade Jerusalem, where Hezekiah is at. And so what he does, this king, he sends one of his commanders to mock God, to mock Hezekiah's God. And he's, he starts to, to say all kind of horrible things. He even says that, that Yahweh, and he uses Yahweh, the, the term that they would have had for their, their God, the one true God, and says, Yahweh sent me to destroy you guys. He's all cocky and arrogant. He says, I'm only doing Yahweh's work. How can your king Hezekiah protect you? You know, you've got this walled-up city. You've got all this, this surplus, but it will run out. We will put a siege on you. You will fall captive if you don't just bow down and leave now. And he promises that, that if they come willingly, they'll take care of them. They'll be nice to them. They'll, they'll not take them and, and, and make them horrible slaves, that they'll be good. And he says, how can Hezekiah even, even protect you spiritually? Have, have, has Assyria not dominated all the other gods in this area? So he's starting to throw these pagan gods out. We know we defeated this God. We defeated this God. Now, there's no God or, or a people group that could stand against the might of Assyria. He said, your, your, your king has even tore down the high places to, to even ask of gods. And so this, this commander had the thought that you had to go to the high places, high places to go worship God, which Hezekiah had tore down because they were all worshiping false God on these high places, and he brought worship back to the temple. So he said, you don't even have a place to go inquire of your God. So how can you withstand the might and the power of Assyria? So Hezekiah freaks out. He gets scared and he runs to Isaiah. Isaiah reassures him that God's got this, and that's exactly what happens. After kind of a back and forth between Assyria and Hezekiah, God eventually comes and wipes out 185,000 of the Assyrian troops without Israel ever or Judah ever raising a thorn, or raising a sword. And I, I looked and researched, there's researchers that believe that mice actually came in, and they all got bubonic plague and died, which is just the most funny thing to me. Now, that's not like Bible, it doesn't say that, that's just a theory. But God wiped them out. They're, they're, they're these big, bad Assyrian army, and they're looking at this um, wall in Jerusalem, and what gets them could have potentially been like a, just a disease run through their camp. Like, God is so cool and so powerful, and he takes care of things in such great ways where nobody in Judah's camp had to die. So he takes care of them, and, and the ones that are left run back to Assyria, and, the, and the, the king there ends up dying by his own son's hands as he's worshiping a false god. That's what Isaiah prophesies. That's what happens years later to him, and so God gets the victory there. So it's one more thing that, that God has done for Jerusalem. It's one more thing that God has done for Hezekiah, and he's just blessing like crazy and then we see at the beginning of chapter 20 
but things take, a turn for, take another turn for the worst, and Hezekiah gets sick. He has a, a very bad illness, and it, it, when you look at it, um, it, it seems like it was probably some sort of tumor that was going to kill him. Um, the Bible says boil, um, but it, it could have been some sort of uh, tumor that was going to kill him. But he goes and he seeks Isaiah the prophet, and he says, what am I supposed to do? And Isaiah says, go get your house in order, because you're not going to make it from this one. It's finally going to be time for you to meet your end. Now, Hezekiah had had a great life. He'd done great things. He'd restored so much. Um, But, just like any person, death is not something we eagerly run to. So, Hezekiah has this moment where he breaks down. It says he turns and faces the wall and, and starts to pray to God and begs God to spare him. And so, Isaiah comes back and says, you know, God has decreed that he's going to give you an extra 15 years to live. He's heard your cries because you've been faithful, because you've, you've done what's right. I'm going to give you an extra 15 years to live. So Hezekiah is joyful again. God has once again done something more for him. And so he's got his whole life because of what God has done for him. God is blessed, God is blessed, God is blessed. God has um, changed the, uh, his, his mind on, on, on taking his life. And so Hezekiah is a godly man who God has blessed up until the end. And that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, and there's so much more to that story. Um, and if you go back and read from, from 16 to, to 20, there's little pieces I missed out. But it's just it's a huge story. We'd be here for, I told Franklin this this morning, we'd be here for seven days if we actually went through all the insane cool stuff that happened before this. But I really wanted to focus on the end of chapter 20, starting in verse 12. Um, Verse 12 says this, At the time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed him, welcomed them, and he showed them all of his treasure house, the silver and gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come from to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house, and there is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then, Hez- then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house And that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, you know, check this out. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken to me is good. For he thought, why not, if there will be peace and security in my days? So you've got this godly man who's been given extra time to live, who just hard left turns at the end of his life. So what happens here is the Babylons, or the people from from Babylon, pretty much send him a get well gift, or like a congratulations, you're not dying present. So it's this these ambassadors come, and they, they give him some gold. They give him some stuff. And Hezekiah, because he's apparently not in his right mind anymore, says, awesome, cool. Let me show you all that I have. 
Let me go parade you through my storehouses. Let me go parade you through my home. Let me show you everything. He, he tells Isaiah there is absolutely nothing that, that I did not show them. And so these foreign people, these, this foreign power sends these people. And so now they know everything. They know the wealth of Jerusalem. They know the wealth of Judah. They know everything they have. They, they see the armory. They, they know everything. And so that is pivotal in a battle. You know, if there's no secrets. If you've, if you've not, you, you don't have to guess on anything. You don't have to try to strategize. If you know all that they have, well, you're ruined. But Hezekiah, in his pride and his arrogance, for a moment, lost the vision and the mindset that he'd had for his entire life. And so he shows them everything. And Isaiah comes and, and says, Hear what the Lord says. Everything that's in your house, everything that you've done, all that your fathers have stored up before you, everything, your whole legacy, everything that's, that you've been about, all the stuff that you've been building on is about to be completely ripped from you. It's all going to be gone because of the mistake that you made. See, Hezekiah had inquired of Isaiah from all the things that he'd done before in the past. Him and Isaiah were buddies. But he didn't inquire what Isaiah would say what God would say in this moment, and he messed up because for a moment he wanted to do what he wanted to do and would not inquire of the Lord like had been his practice. So he says, everything's going to be stripped from you. Everything. Nothing is going to be left. And then the, the kicker, the, this is the worst part of the whole story. It says, since some of your sons, some of your children, they're going to be taken from this place. They're going to be made servants and slaves in the king's palace. They're going to be ripped from you. And then Hezekiah and his, his thought process is this. Well, it kind of stinks for them, but at least I'll have peace. And so Hezekiah stops thinking about his past. He stops thinking about the future. And all he does is start to think about himself. And because he had this massively selfish moment, he ruined the future. He ruined the future of Jerusalem. So I just kind of want to take a, a second and break these things down. Um, the, the, the first thing you really see him do is, is he forgets. Because I believe he forgets a few things in this, and it's the only reason he gets to this point, because he, he was a godly man. And then he ended up doing some very ungodly things. And I believe it's because he forgot certain things. And the first thing you see is he forgets his father's legacy. And, and like I said earlier, to, to remember David. See, Ahaz was his father, his physical, biological father. But David was the one that he took after. And yes, David messed up. But David was a king that is said to be after God's own heart. David is the one who did all the things right. And so... Hezekiah, his whole reign is looking towards people like David who, who set the example, who were longing for the days that the temple would be built, who trained his son Solomon in the ways that he should build and trained him in the ways that he should go and, and for, like, even gave him some commandments to say, look, you've, you've got to listen to God all of your days. Because if you don't, if you don't listen to God, if you don't follow in his statutes, his hand is going to be taken off of you, which you see at the end of Solomon's life because he went and, and had like all kinds of wives. The number's huge. Um, and he married into foreign wives and they um, corrupted his thinking. But David pushed 
his sons and, and lived a life that was pleasing to God. And even after he messed up, repented like crazy and was broken. And, and that was the example that Hezekiah was, was looking back to. And he forgot that example. He forgot what his legacy was before him. He, he forgot the example that David had set. And he also forgot the example that his own father Ahaz had set. You know, Ahaz was a terrible king, and I'm, I'm sure growing up, watching all the things that his father had done, he kept thinking, just like, like sons do. I, I can't think of it, anybody that I've ever talked to that hasn't lived their childhood life going, I'm not going to do that to my kids. And the funny thing is, now that I am a father, I look, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing the exact same thing I said that I'm not going to do, you know? I, I'm, I'm fussing at Adelaide, and I, I look at, you know, it was just because daddy said so. I'm like, oh, oh. He said, I hate it when my dad said that, because that's not a reason drives me nuts. But I find myself doing those things, and, and so every time I remember, it's like, oh, I said that I wasn't going to do that. I remember some of the legacy that's behind me, and, and here Hezekiah saw and, and understood the pride that his own father had. He forgot how, how much trouble and how much hardship his father went because he didn't listen to God. He forgot the examples behind him, and that was his first mistake. The second mistake was that he forgot he was nothing without God. Look back at the passage, and I've circled all these because I just thought it was interesting. Verse 13 kind of starts it. And Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed all of his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, his armory, all that was found in his storehouse. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. So immediately, Hezekiah starts to go, look what I've done. Look at the things that I've done. Look at the things that I've accomplished. Look how much gold and wealth I have acquired. And when you've got that mindset, you want to show it off. You want to show it off. This is what Hezekiah did. He forgot that the only reason that he was where he was was because God had done all of it for him. You, you see back through everything that God gave the blessing. God gave the blessing. God gave the blessing. And so he took that from God. And he started to glorify himself. And I'm telling you, anytime we start taking glory from God and we start glorifying ourselves, there is a pit coming for us to knock us back into shape. That's exactly what happened to Hezekiah. He forgot he was nothing without God. And then this is, this is the big point. Of, of this that I think he is the, the worst of all. He forgot how important his own children were. He forgot how important his own children were. He said, deck with them. You know, they'll have to deal with that in their own day, but I, I'm going to have peace. I got 15 more years. I'm going to go sit out on my balcony. I'm going to eat some grapes, and I'm going to have a good old time. I'm going to ride this thing out. I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to do the things I want to. Maybe Hezekiah was playing a little golf. I don't know. Just riding those days out because he knew bad things were coming, but he didn't care. And I just can't wrap my mind around that because his sons were, were there. He had them before he died, obviously, because that's how parenthood works. So he had to watch his newborns. He had to watch his children be brought up, and he had to look at them in the eye. He had to look at them in the face and say, I have ruined this for you, but I don't care. Ruined this for you, but I don't care. And that's outrageous to me. That's, that's insane to me that you could, because I, 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 I always go back to Adelaide, and I, I, I just can't imagine looking at her face and saying, well, sweetie, 
you're, you're, you're in for a really hard life. But, but dad, I'm just going to watch some Netflix. You just kind of fend for yourself. And you see this happen right after it. Uh, his, his son, Manasseh, becomes a horrible king. Horrible. He wasn't trained up the way he should go. He wasn't a godly, godly leader. He's got all kind of idolatry in his life. And then eventually, after, I mean, you get to the end of Kings, um, which is just a few chapters later, and Babylon takes over the kingdom and destroys everything. So Isaiah's prophecy comes true. It rings true. That's King Hezekiah. And so I, I read this story, and I was like, man, that's a crazy example. How does this apply for us? And God kicked my butt. Because I've never, you know, shown an ambassador group from Babylon all the stuff in my house. It would be a very quick trip, just to let you know. That, hey, here's my TV, here's my couch, and here's the woods. So, that's about it. But I've never done that. I've never, you know, I've never prayed to God and Him give me 15 more years. I've never done that. And I pray that God let me live for 15 more years, but I've never had a prophet come say, yep, 15's your number. And I've never looked at my child and said, well, whatever your life does, cool, I'm going to go do my own thing. But then I, I started to realize and I started to pray that we actually do this in some different ways. Because we're not, we're not in Jerusalem um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. We're in today. And though we don't do these things exactly, we do them very, very similar. And I, I just want to take the same things that he forgot and, and just challenge us this morning for, for us as fathers. And, and like I said, for us as believers, for, us as, uh, for, for mothers, for single people, it doesn't matter. For, for us, just through the perspective of fathers for just a second, we also forget the legacies sometimes that have been left for us. I know my own father, he didn't get saved until I think it was maybe six years ago. But my own father left me a legacy of a few things. My dad has worked, especially during the summer, somewhere between... 85 and 100 hours a week. He works full-time at the Inman Waterworks, and then he cuts at last number, I think it's somewhere near 50 yards, including three churches, big churches. But that has worked his tail off. So the legacy that my father built as a young child may not have been biblical, but I, I saw hard work modeled for me. And then he got saved, and I watched him be the most repentful man I've ever seen in my entire life. Broken just in tears, and I watched a man show me how, even as an adult male, confession is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So the legacy I, I have behind me is, is some, it's got some rough patches, but overall, my dad left me a great example to live, in, and I have the ability to forget everything that my dad taught me and live my own way and do my own things and completely forget the things that he taught me. And I guarantee you that if I do those things, I will end up in the same place that Hezekiah did. You know, Eric, I hear you talk about your dad all the time. He left you a godly legacy to live after. You have the ability to forget that, though, and go after your own stuff. I know there's some great fathers in here that have led their children in the way they should go. But it's our responsibility to remember those things that they've taught us. Now, on the flip side, some of us have had some horrible fathers who were not great, who did the wrong things. But just like Hezekiah here, 
you don't get to have the excuse of my dad was bad, so I'm bad. It's not an excuse because your life is your life. You make your own decisions. You parent your own way. Those are your choices that you are held responsible for, and you have a choice to make in this. Because you don't just get to forget your legacy never happened. You get to learn from it. Because I know that people with bad fathers, they can look at those examples and say, I know to not do that. I know to not do that. I know to not treat my children this way. You guys, history tends to repeat itself if we do not heed its advice. So I challenge you this morning, what did your fathers and your, your, your teachers and your parents teach you in the past that you can take and run with? What are the lessons that you should have learned long ago? You see, the whole goal of parenthood, something that I've, I've learned, is, is I want to set my kids up to, for success. I want them to fail less than I did. And if I can teach them some of the things that I screwed up on, and they don't do it themselves, then I've won. Lay a legacy and a foundation for the gospel, but to do that too. There's an importance to the legacy that we leave, and it's an importance that we remember back to it. Because there's some great things that we were taught to do and some great things that we were taught not to do. And Hezekiah forgot, and I think sometimes we forget those things too. Next is that we let our pride consume us. We let our pride consume us. It was Hezekiah's big fault, and it's, it's ours as well. We start thinking about how great we are sometimes. And the thing about pride is that it stops you from being humble. They're opposites. And any person that leads from pride can't admit their faults, can't admit their, their, their struggles. And, and I see Scott, and, I, and this sometimes, you know, Scott gives examples of his kids a lot, but I've seen this one actually take practice before me. Scott does a great job at this, and it's, it reminds me of this, is him and Meredith may ha- be having like a little scuffle, a little fight, because Scott says dumb things, and Meredith's always right. Um, just another side conversation. But I've watched Scott. If his boys are around, I've watched him. And Brody, Brody, he is pro-Scott to a fault. Like that boy takes up for his dad. And I've watched Scott get down on his, get on his level like this and say, no, Brody, daddy was wrong. I've seen that happen. That's a man that's not being prideful. It's a man that's being humble and not getting too big for himself to admit that he's wrong. Pride is what happens when you say, no, mama was wrong and that she can just deal with it and you never fix the problem. And what you have to understand is the way, and, and this is just for fathers for just a second, if you have a daughter or a son, you are raising your children the way that you act towards your wife, dads, is the way that your son is going to treat women and the way that your daughters are going to think women are supposed to be treated. So if I start to raise my child, my daughter, and I start to treat Olivia bad, then that's the worth level that she's going to think she has. Your responsibility for the next generation is to make sure the men that grow up have a higher respect for women than your generation did. And men that are raising boys, it's your job to raise them in a way that you treat women like they're daughters of the king that they are. See, but pride doesn't let us do that sometimes. Pride gets in the way, and we don't want to admit our faults. We don't want to admit that God actually has us where we are. We, we don't want to, to look at that. So fathers, parents, single people, pride will bite you if you don't watch it. And the last thing that I think is, is just, or, or actually two more things, a lot. Um, Hezekiah's big downfall was that he stopped asking himself, 
What are my actions doing for the future generation? And we do the exact same thing. We stop asking ourselves, how does this action, how does today, these things that I decide, how do they affect my children? They affect us guys' children in a horrible way, but I believe they affect us in the same way. Let, let me just ask you a few questions. How does you, not making Christ a priority, reflect on your future generation? What principles are you teaching your children? Is Christ a priority in your life? Because those actions affect your children. I remember, I, I will always remember, every night my mother went to bed before the rest of us. And my room was right beside hers. Hers was on this side, mine was on this side. And as I walked to my bedroom at night, my mama was in her bed with a Bible and a devotion every single night. Those things stick. And I will never forget that. Because she showed me that her time with Christ was important. How does you not making church a priority reflect on your children? You know, if you only go to church once every three months, well, don't be shocked if your children don't go at all. How does you working and chasing money reflect on your children? If they don't ever see daddy and he's all about money, the same impressions get put onto our kids. And like I said earlier, how does your relationship with your wife set your kids up for the future? How does your own prayer life and reading life show them priorities? Fathers, we are setting the standard in our homes. Biblically, we are the leaders and the heads of our home, and that is not a dominant thing. That is just our role and our responsibility and the one that we will be judged for. We have to take that role seriously. Your children need to see dad praying. Your children need to see dad reading. Your children need to see dad giving glory and honor to God for the things that have been given. Your children need to see you taking steps in faith, no matter what the cost. They need to see the principle of we trust God, not man, lived out in front of them. Because that's the standard, that's what we're judged on. If we're not living that out, then we are messing it up for the future. And we are saying, without saying, I'm just going to live in the peace of my days. And however they get raised is however they get raised. And if we don't take that call serious, you end up with a Manasseh who runs the other way. And while salvation is not entirely on us, that is on God. God is the one that gives growth. That is God's job to, to save. But we have a responsibility to raise our children up in the way they should go so that when they grow old, they will return. And the last point that I, wanna, I really want to push hard here is with grace comes responsibility. And that's like a, a, a really close reference to Spider-Man, which I feel like Gino appreciates. Um, with grace comes responsibility. You see, Hezekiah had lived perfectly. He was, he was in great standing with God up until his illness. It was after his illness that he ran the other direction. He prayed for 15 more years, and God was gracious enough to give it to him. But Hezekiah took that grace and ended up ruining everything else in his, in his past, or in his future, everything else for his kids, he ruined it. It really, and this sounds horrible, it really probably would have been de better for Judah and for Jerusalem for him to just die. Sad reality of it all. 
Because he was great up until that point. He would have gone down as one of the most fantastic kings that had ever reigned. But he changed after he got grace. What I want all of us to hear this morning is that with grace comes responsibility. Guys, we've all, as Christians, been giving a level of grace. We have a new outlook. We have a new position. We have new life. We have eternal life. We've been given this grace of, of, of eternal life, and we have a responsibility to do something with it. You are held to a higher standard now because of the grace that is given you. You have a new mission. You have a new purpose. And if we don't understand that, then we as fathers miss the whole thing. We as Christians miss the whole thing. You were only given grace, and you were only given mercy, and you were only given uh, salvation to use it for God. We've got to get this whole heaven country club, club. It's just about the, the, the pearly gates and the, and the gold road and all that stuff. That's not what heaven is, guys. Yeah, Jerusalem's, the new Jerusalem is going to be awesome. It's going to be really pretty to look at. But we have jobs. We have a purpose. We have a mission. It's all about Christ. It's all about him and, and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection and, and what he died to give us. And, and because of what we've been given, we're supposed to serve him like crazy. That is what the gift of grace requires of us. That is the responsibility of grace. We have to understand that moving forward. If you are a Christian, your roles are different in the house. You are supposed to love your wife like God loved, or Christ loved the church. You are supposed to train your children in godly ways, and Christ has got to come first, no matter what, in all things. So, beat you up for 30 minutes um, and I just want to let it sit, sit there for a little while and I ask you the question of, of where are you at as a father some of you guys are knocking it out of the park you know I hang out with some of your children and, and my gosh some of them are amazing all of them are amazing um, clarify that uh, all of them really are amazing but I know that some of you guys are pouring deeply into your children pouring deeply into your spouses so kudos keep running that race don't, don't get off of it. Let, let your life continue like Hezekiah's life should have. But for the rest of us, for me included this week, I mean, I've had to go to Olivia and ask for forgiveness, and I've had to repent for things this week because I'm not leading my household in, in, in some ways the right way. It's broken me. Now, we've, been, we've, we've had great conversations, and, and that forgiveness and repentance has, has been accepted, and, and we've moved on, and we're stronger as a couple because of it. But it had to happen this week because there's times that I'm more post-grace um, Hezekiah than I am before. And so this morning, I didn't want to just give you just some weak encouragement. I really wanted to challenge you because the generations to come are relying on the people sitting in this room. To make a difference. So as the band comes back up, I ask you that question. Where are you at as a father? Where are you at as a mother? Where are you at as a single person or a student? Do you understand the legacy that was left behind you? Are you taking from it and improving upon it and, and really seeing the grace that was given to you through those things and taking the bad examples and learning from them? Are you doing those things? Are you focused on those things? When's the last time you checked your pride? And here's the thing about pride. It looks different all across the board. Like you can like conquer one version 
and then it somehow finds a way to sneak back in there in a different way. So we have to constantly check our pride. When's the last time you checked your pride? And the last question, when have you asked yourself, what does this action mean for the future generations? What does it mean for, how, I mean, for single people? How are you setting yourself up for your future bride or your future husband? I prayed before I got married, before I met Olivia. Said, God, make me into the person that I need to be for a godly woman to even look my way. And I still had truckloads of work to do, but he gave Olivia some different goggles to look at me through for a little while. There's responsibility even for single people, for people that don't have children, for people that aren't married, for people that are young. You have a responsibility to the future. All of us will contribute to the future. How do you want your name to be remembered? Father, you are the great Father. You are the great example. You are the great instructor. You have given us the perfect, flawless example through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray this morning, it hurt a little bit. It it hurt me this week. I I pray that it would hurt some people in here enough to break them and to change their ways because I know there's some marriages struggling in here. I know that. The room this size has got this many people in it. Somebody's marriage is struggling. And I believe that somebody's marriage could be saved if the people in that marriage would forget their pride, realize their own faults, and make efforts to work for the future, to work for their kids. I believe there's people that are, that are hurting from past relationships from their fathers, past relationships with their parents. I believe there's some father-son and mother-son, mother-daughter, father-daughter issues that, that need to be resolved in this place. Some hurts and some pains. But once again, it's going to take people stepping out of their pride and admitting that they're wrong looking back at those examples and saying, you know, I don't have to be defined by what my parents did. I can be my own person. I can rise above. I can, I can change. I can be like Hezekiah in the beginning where I came from a bad situation, but I rose above it, and I became God, what God wanted me to be. There's so many situations when you talk about family stuff, but I know that there's lives that, that this message can hit. God, so I pray that there'll be brokenness in this room as the band leads us in one more song. God, this altar will be flooded with people who just want to restore their relationship with you first and foremost and a relationship with their family second. So God, I just ask you to move. So now I pray. Amen.